Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 21 uh, this morning, verses 18 through 22. And uh, this is the third message now in our new series. Our new series is called Jesus in Jerusalem. Uh, In this series, we're looking at the final week of Jesus' life before he went to the cross. And uh, so far in the series, we've looked at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Last week, we looked at the cleansing of the temple. And today, we come to a third incident that took place that week, the cursing of the fig tree. And we'll get to that in just a moment, but uh, let's read it first, Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 21, beginning with verse 18. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look into this, your word today, there's uh, some challenging words for us here today, but there's also some beautiful and precious promises. And so, Lord, we want to open up our hearts and lives to all of your word today. Lord, speak to us through each of these verses. Uh, holy Spirit, Shape our lives to be more like Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, our message today is called Fig Trees, Faith, and Fruit. Fig Trees, Faith, and Fruit. Try saying that fast three times, okay? I tried. I couldn't do it. Maybe you can. But uh, we're talking about fig trees, faith, and fruit, the cursing of the fig tree. You know, the, the, this whole curse of the fig tree, it's, uh, it's very closely tied to what we looked at last week, right? The cleansing of the temple. They, they go together. Uh, it, this is an unusual incident. And similar to the cleansing of the temple last week, it's, it's an incident that seems very uncharacteristic of Jesus at first, right? It catches us off guard. We don't normally think of Jesus cursing fig trees or, or driving people out of temples, do we? But you know, Jesus never does anything without a purpose. And his purpose here is to teach and instruct. And our passage today really breaks down into two parts. First, Jesus gives a word of warning and then a word of assurance. First, he gives us a word of warning about fruit and then a word of assurance about faith. We're going to look at both of these this morning, then we're going to take a look at the relationship between the two. What is the relationship between fruit and faith uh, towards the end of the message? So there's an outline in your uh, uh, worship guide. I encourage you to take that out at this time to follow along with the message. There's room there to jot down some notes as we go along too, if you like. Fig trees, faith, and fruit. Here we go. So first of all, Jesus gives us a a warning, a word of warning about fruit. 
from verses 18 and 19. Uh, take a look at that with me now. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. So it's early in the morning. Uh, Jesus is on his way back to Jerusalem. Remember, he left the city and stayed in Bethany for the night. He's hungry. He sees a fig tree up ahead, but when he gets up to it, no figs. Plenty of leaves, leaves everywhere, no figs. This is very unusual because leaves on a fig tree, if you have leaves and no fruit, something's wrong here. Usually the leaves and the fruit, they develop together. So there's something wrong with this tree. Very unusual. Fig tree with leaves, no fruit. But then Jesus does something even more unusual because he curses the fig tree. He speaks right to it. May you never bear fruit again. Now, you've got to remember, when you're Jesus, you've got options, okay? When you're Jesus, you've got options. Jesus could just as easily have spoken to the fig tree and said, may you bear lots of fruit right now. May you be filled with fruit. And that tree immediately, instead of withering, would have been filled with figs, right? But Jesus doesn't go that route, does he? He curses the fig tree instead, and immediately the tree withers. This is not only a demonstration of Jesus' power, but it is also a warning. It is a warning about the necessity to bear fruit in our lives for God. As we said a few moments ago, this incident is tied closely to the cleansing of the temple, not only in time and chronology, but in theme. Jesus went to the temple looking for spiritual fruit, right? Didn't find any there. And when he didn't find the fruit in the temple, he drove the people out. And in the same way, God looks for fruit in our lives, and when he does not find it, his judgment is swift and severe. So this is a warning passage, isn't it? It's a warning specifically about fruit. The warning has two parts to it. The first part is this. God looks for fruit in our lives. God comes looking for fruit. Now, on one level, the fig tree represents the people of Israel. That's a very common image uh, for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, the fig tree. And we can see how that works out. Jesus came to his own people looking for fruit. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him, especially the religious leaders of that time. So, yeah, yeah, on one level, it's a story about Israel, but folks, it's also a story about us. This applies directly to us. It is an acted parable, not a spoken parable, but an acted out parable with an intended meaning. Just as Jesus went to the fig tree looking for fruit, God comes looking for fruit in our lives. There's another parable in Scripture in the Old Testament. Prophet Isaiah uh, shared a parable. It's actually a song, a musical parable about fruit. Let me read you the first couple of verses from it in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah writes, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. 
He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked. I'll say that again. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. You see, God looks for fruit in our lives. Not just fruit. He's looking for good fruit, right? He doesn't want to come and find fruit, but find bad fruit, right? He looks for good fruit in our lives. Now, we've been talking a lot about fruit already this morning. You might be wondering, well, what exactly does that mean, okay? What does, that, what does the Bible mean about good fruit in our life? If God's going to come looking for fruit in my life, what's He looking for, right? Well, there are at least four different kinds of fruit the Bible speaks about in our lives this morning. All four are in your outline. Let me go over them with you briefly right now. First, there is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. We read about this in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. When God comes looking for fruit, that's the first thing He's looking for. Is there fruit of the Spirit in your life? Next, there's the fruit of good works. Paul writes this in first, and I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter one, verse ten. He says, "And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, that you may please Him in every way. How by bearing fruit in every good work." And as believers in Jesus Christ, we should always be bearing the fruit of good works in our lives. We're not saved by good works, but we bear the fruit of good works in our lives once we are saved. Then there's the the fruit of witnessing, the fruit of witnessing. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, what after all is Apollos? What is Paul? We are only servants through whom you came to believe. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, God made it grow. What was going on here is the Corinthians were arguing. It's silly, but we sometimes get into silly arguments in the church, don't we? Arguing about who was more important. Was it Paul or Apollos? And so Paul has to remind them that you know, God used both of them to bring the Corinthians to the faith. That they both had a part in sharing the gospel with the Corinthians. That they both bore the fruit of witnessing as demonstrated by the Corinthians coming to faith in Christ and then growing in their faith. We've got the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of good works, the fruit of witnessing, and then fourthly, there's the fruit of praise. We read this in Hebrews 13, 15. It says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. So there's the sacrifice of praise where we lift up and praise the name of Jesus, the fruit of lips that confess his name. So when God comes looking for fruit in your life, what will he find? Will he find the fruit of the Spirit? Will he find the fruit of good works? Will he find the fruit of witnessing as you share with others about Jesus and the gospel? Will he find the fruit of praise, the praise of Jesus upon your lips? Because remember, this is a warning part of the passage, right? This is a warning. God comes looking for fruit, and when he does not find it, 
His judgment is swift and severe. Now remember, we just looked at the, the first two verses of that song parable in the book of Isaiah, verses 1 and 2. Let me pick up now in verse 3. You know, he got the vineyard all together. He did everything, put it all together. He went looking for good fruit, only found bad fruit. Now we pick up in verse 3. And Isaiah says, Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem, you men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. God was going to remove the protections from Israel because he came looking for fruit and found none. Back to the New Testament. Jesus cursed the fig tree. Matthew says it immediately withered. Now, please know that God is patient with us. Okay? God is more patient with us than we are with each other. Okay, that's a good thing. God is patient with us. He gives us time to come to faith in Christ. He gives us time to bear fruit for Him. But, and here's the warning part of the passage... When the time of judgment comes, it comes quickly. It comes quickly. God comes looking for fruit, and when he does not find it, his judgment is swift and severe. So that's the word of warning about fruit. Now we move on to a word of assurance, a word of assurance about faith. Look at verses 20 through 22 with me next. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, you may notice the disciples, they missed the whole fruit part of this passage, didn't they? They just kind of skipped over the fruit, and, and they just focused immediately on Jesus' amazing power uh, in withering the fig tree instead. I'm sure they were going to figure out the fruit part later, right? Uh, but for right now, they're just focused on the miracle. Once again, Jesus is patient. He doesn't rebuke them for that. Instead, Jesus uses this incident as a teaching moment. He uses it as an opportunity to teach them about faith and prayer. And Jesus has two lessons for the disciples here. They're the same two lessons he has for us today. Lesson number one, first of all, faith lays hold of God's power. Faith lays hold of God's power. Now, Jesus told his disciples something similar back in Matthew 17, 20. We looked at this a number of weeks ago. When he told them, he said, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it doesn't take a lot of faith, right? Small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, 
Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And so Jesus has spoken about this mountain before, hasn't he? He says, if you've got faith, nothing's impossible for you. Why is that? Because nothing is impossible for God. And faith lays hold of God's power. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 12. He said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Notice what Jesus says in this verse. He says, anyone who has faith in me, in me, in Christ. In other words, it's not enough just to have faith in God or in some God out there. You must have faith in Jesus. You must have faith in Jesus as God's son as well. Jesus is teaching us how faith lays hold of God's power. Let's face it, we can't make fig trees wither. We can't cause mountains to throw themselves into the sea. But nothing is impossible for God. Faith lays hold of God's power to do those things that are impossible for us to do. So don't be afraid to ask big things from God. He can handle it. I like the way missionary William Carey put it. Uh, William Carey said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. But know this, that faith is the key. It is faith that lays hold of God's power. And then Jesus goes on to tell us that God answers the prayer of faith. That's what he said in verse 22, right? He says, if you believe, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That's a pretty big promise, isn't it? That is an amazing verse. That is a breathtaking promise from God that he will answer your prayers when you pray in faith, believing. And so it's vitally important that we understand what Jesus means by praying in faith, believing. What is this prayer of faith that God promises to answer? And when you look at the the, the Bible, the Word of God, when you compare Scripture to Scripture, you will find four characteristics of believing prayer. Once again, they're all in your outline, but let me go over them with you uh, briefly here. The first characteristic of believing prayer is this. Pretty obvious one. You got to believe, right? You must believe and not doubt. That's what Jesus said in verse 21. I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt. And then he gives the promise of answered prayer. We find a very similar teaching in the book of James, James chapter 1, where James writes this. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. So if you don't believe and you do doubt, the Bible says don't expect to receive anything. Jesus says if you have faith and do not doubt, you will receive whatever you ask. That's the first characteristic of believing prayer. You must believe and not doubt. Secondly, you must ask in Jesus' name. Now, we already saw how in John 14, 12, Jesus said, if you 
have faith in me, if you believe in me, Jesus said, then God will answer your prayers, right? In other words, you can't leave Jesus out of the equation, or it's not a prayer of faith. You must ask in Jesus' name. We read this, John 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son of God may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And so it's not enough simply to believe and not doubt. That's where you start. But you must also believe in God, and you must believe in Jesus as God's Son. You must ask in Jesus' name trusting that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, going through him as your mediator, asking in his name. Then a third characteristic of believing prayer is this. You must ask with right motives. Right motives. We read in James chapter 4 this. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. That's one reason why you may not. But he goes on. He says, when you ask, you do not receive. Well, why is that? Because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, God promises to answer the prayer of faith, not the prayer of selfish motives. No, the prayer of faith. And you know what? You cannot pray in faith when you're praying selfishly to spend what you get on yourself. That's not faith. That's something else. You've got to ask with right motives. And then finally, to pray in faith believing, you must ask according to God's will. We read this in 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. You see, faith doesn't simply mean believing. It also means trust. Faith means trust. You cannot pray in faith without trusting God, without asking and trusting for Him to do His perfect will in your life and and in your situation. The prayer of faith trusts God and submits itself to the will of God. Even Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done, right? Right? That's the fourth characteristic of believing prayer. You must ask according to God's will. But you put all those four together and you look at the prayer of faith, and folks, this is still simply a stunning promise from Jesus. What a good and generous God we serve. He invites us. He involves us. He asks us to pray. And he promises to answer the prayer of faith. This is a wonderful word of assurance from Jesus about faith. So we've looked at Jesus' word of warning about fruit. We've looked at Jesus' word of assurance about faith. And now finally, I want us to look at the relationship between fruit and faith. There are three things in particular you should know about this relationship between fruit and faith. I'll I'll share them with you up front, and then we'll look at each one. First of all, there's no faith without fruit. There's no faith without fruit. Number two, there's no fruit without faith. 
There's no faith without fruit. There's no fruit without faith. And then thirdly, a fruitful life leads to faith-filled prayer. Let's look at all three of these now in closing. First of all, there is no faith without fruit. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He said, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God comes looking for fruit, and if he doesn't find any, what does Jesus say he do? He, he does, he, he cuts the branch off. And why would God do that? Because there's no faith without fruit. Fruit is the evidence of your faith. When you bear fruit in your life for God, Jesus says you show yourself to be one of his disciples. When a person prays to become a Christian, how do you know if they truly put their faith in Christ? How do you know if they truly received Jesus as their Savior? Well, one of the first things I always do is I I start looking for fruit. So the Bible says you look for fruit. Do they begin to show the fruit of the Spirit in their life? Do they start doing good works for Christ? Do they begin to share their faith with others? Do they praise God for what He has done in their lives, offering up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess Jesus as Lord and Savior? How do you know? You know, Rosie and I have personal experience with this. It was a number of years ago, very late in life, that her father uh, stood up in a meeting and prayed to receive Christ. It's like, whoa, we've been praying for that a long time. It's like, is it real? Did he really do that? Did he understand? Did he mean? Did he mean what he said? So we started looking for fruit. And his personality began to, to soften, became more gentle came more peace at himself, fruit of the Spirit. Never really went to church before. Now he was in church every week. Good works, fruit of good works. Never witnessed before because he had nothing to witness to. But now we went down there for Thanksgiving. Normally we just sit down and start eating and he stopped everybody and said, nope, first we pray. And he said grace and thanked Jesus for family and food together, fruit of witnessing. And then he never really used to listen to music around the house, but all of a sudden you'd go down there and the radio would be on and there'd be praise music in the background. Fruit of praise. Did Rosie's dad pray to receive Christ? Absolutely! How do you know the fruit? The fruit! That's how you know if someone has truly become a Christian. You look for fruit. That's the first thing you need to know about the relationship between fruit and faith. Fruit and faith go together. There's no faith without fruit. And then secondly, there's no fruit without faith. You turn it around, right? No fruit without faith. Because Jesus goes on to say this in John 15, 4. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
What is Jesus saying here? He's saying we don't bear fruit by our own effort or our own works. We bear fruit by trusting in Jesus, by remaining in Jesus, by staying close to Him. You know, the branch of an apple tree doesn't bear fruit by trying real hard to bear apples. It doesn't sit out there and say, oh, got to bear an apple, got to bear an apple, right? No, the branch simply stays connected to the trunk and the fruit grows naturally. Of course, if it's not connected to the trunk, if it's lying in the ground, no apples, right? There's just no way it's going to bear fruit. But if it's connected to the trunk, the fruit will come. And it's the same way with Christ and with the Christian life. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine, or in the case of the apple tree, it must remain connected to the trunk. In the same way, neither you or I can bear fruit unless we remain in Christ. And so just as there's no faith without fruit, guess what? There's no fruit without faith. That trusting, abiding, faith relationship with Jesus day in and day out. And then the final thing you need to know about the relationship between fruit and faith is this. is that a fruitful life leads to faith filled prayer. I love this. We see this in John 15, 16. Jesus said this. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then, okay, if you're bearing fruit, fruit that will last, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And that, and that one verse, it brings all of this together, doesn't it? There's fruit in there. There's faith. There's prayer. He says, I chose you to go and bear fruit. And when your life is full of fruit, your prayers will be full of faith. And that means that you will know the joy of answered prayer. Because a fruitful life leads to faith-filled prayer. Let me close now with three words of application. First of all, a word of warning. A word of warning. If there is no fruit in your life, Fruit of the Spirit, fruit of good works, fruit of witnessing, fruit of giving praise to Jesus. If there's no fruit in your life, then you are not truly saved. That's what the Bible says. Because true faith always results in fruit, always. And so if there's no fruit in your life, you need to re-examine your life in light of God's Word. That's what 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? In other words, if he's in you, if he's remaining in you, you're going to be bearing fruit, right? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Oh, no fruit. I guess Christ is not in me. God comes looking for fruit. What will he find in your life? That's the word of warning. Secondly, a word of instruction. Remember, you cannot bear fruit on your own. You can only bear fruit by abiding in Jesus. Now, if you are truly saved, there's got to be some fruit in your life, okay? It might just be a little bit of fruit at first, but there's got to be fruit. But don't you want to be full of fruit? Don't you want to be full of the fruit of the Spirit, full of the fruit of good works, the fruit of witnessing, the fruit of praise? Of course you do. And the answer is to stay close to Jesus, to remain in Him, to abide in Him. 
Jesus chose you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. But you can't bear fruit on your own. Only Jesus can produce fruit in you. So you stay close to him and close to his word. We read from Psalm 1 earlier today, right? You know, that the person who meditates in God's word, who spends time in God's word, will be like a tree planted by streams of water which bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither like the fig tree. Stay close to Jesus. You will bear much fruit for God and his glory. Word of warning, word of instruction, finally a word of assurance. When your life is full of fruit, your prayers will be filled with faith and God will, God will accomplish His purposes through your life. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that, that, isn't that what we all want in the long run, right? A fruitful life leads to faith-filled prayer. That is the goal of every believer in Jesus Christ. To sum it all up, there's no faith without fruit. There's no fruit without faith. So I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus today and abide in him, walk closely with him, that you may live a fruitful and faith-filled life to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. There's, a, there's conviction there, and then there's also assurance. And there's also instruction. And so, Lord, we have a lot to process. We have a lot to take in. We have a lot to examine in our own lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are patient with us. But, Lord, may we never seek to take advantage of your patience. You're going to come looking for fruit. Lord, we want to bear much fruit for you that we might bring great glory to God the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.